Hello. Hello. This is Joya Italiano. And this is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to No But That's a Thing. A podcast where we talk about the science ideas that are contained in sci-fi movies. Yeah, neither of us are experts in any of these things, but we care about them and we feel like we can make it interesting for you. So we Googled some stuff after watching a movie and here we go. Here we go. Whoa, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Okay, so guys, we watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1978 remake. Yes, directed by Philip Kaufman, who went on to do The Right Stuff, which is maybe my favorite movie. Donald Sutherland stars in this, and it is quite a film. They come from a dying world. They drift through the universe, pushed on by the solar winds. They adapt, and they survive. The function of all life is survival. From deep space, the seed is planted. Elizabeth, wake up! Get you when you sleep! Sit up! Invasion of the Body Snatchers. All of a sudden, they're growing like parasites. Is it contagious? People are being duplicated. How do you know my name? I didn't tell you my name. Now, the classic fear begins to grow. We're being cornered! In a modern masterpiece of science fiction. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. This movie's really interesting. I thought it was it was so compelling and cool. This was the first time I had ever seen it. Oh yeah, me too. I've never seen the original one. What the original one was 1954, as I, I recall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that one, when it was reviewed, there were a lot of kind of like McCarthyist undertones. You know, is that the mm. it's still in like Cold War era? Mm-hmm. This kind of idea of you know like when everybody was getting blacklisted and neighbors right. were spying on neighbors, and it was kind of like you don't know who they like. The pod people were people that you couldn't trust. Yeah. And all of that sort is of. Is your thing. neighbor going to turn you in for being a Russian, even he- though you're just a regular American right exactly well and so this this remake I I saw some mixed reviews in the sense that some people were like man this is basically just I mean Mm. is it really adding anything else (laughs) so I found this cool article in Artifice magazine from 2014 and the, the article was called Invasion of the Body Snatchers an American Commentary quote stepping out from the shadow of the Soviet threat the 1978 film focuses its eye on the me decade that was the 70s San Francisco where the movie takes place was a city notorious for its free loving hippie community, a movement that reveled in what it means to feel and to love. Yet the city had succumbed to urbanization and thus its inhabitants had grown alienated from each other. And this is what Kaufman portrays. Not a fear of the damn commies, but the dehumanization of a people in an urban environment. Kaufman ponders the question, do we really know our lovers and our friends? In short, Kaufman's emotionless body snatchers were the physical incarnation of a nation's struggle against alienation in the endless sea of bodies of America's major cities. Wow. And I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> because I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the power of remakes, and I, I always go back and forth about how I feel about them. But I think this is a really great example of, of a successful remake for yeah, that oh, reason. Absolutely. It's funny you say that Variety said that it validated the entire concept of remakes. Yeah. That's how much they liked it. Right. But it's funny that it takes place in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I just looked it up, and this movie came out less than four weeks after Harvey Milk was killed. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So it was certainly made during the time that Harvey Milk was like... Well, I mean, that is is kind of interesting, because not only the alienation, but also people that kind of had to hide their identities, hide their feelings, pretend to fit into society, Mm -hmm. and, you know, not knowing who's going to out you, for example. So I can see that. I can easily see those connections. 
connections to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he had won the seat as the city supervisor in 1977. Wow. You know, I, there are many people that see these kind of movies and they don't see that it's like, this is a commentary on you. Right, you know what right. I mean? They could be like, aliens! And still it's like, it's yeah. more than aliens, my friend. <laughs> the night after the movie's release, somebody put pods like in the movie all over the streets of LA and some people got so freaked out that they called the cops. I mean, this movie's fucking terrifying. It re- really scared Remember, me. Remember, we got really spooked. Well, one of the things I'm going to explore is is music and and what makes scary music scary because I think that mm-hmm. was one of the elements throughout the entire thing really fucked with it. That final scene with Donald Sutherland, it's kind of a notorious Ooh. scene and yeah. that sound that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> it sent so many shivers down my spine like I started welling up. Yeah. First of all, I thought it was interesting, this idea of kind of like plant-born illness or like, you know, horror movies kind Mm -hmm. of taking that stance of like plants, the things that you can't see that are in the air. I mean, like M. Night Shyamalan made that movie, The Happening, you remember, where it's like trees are killing people. Yeah, it turned out it was the plants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was even just looking up, I was like, what the fuck is a spore? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know. So a a spore is basically just the hard casing that contains the genetic material of bacterial or other microorganisms. They're able to form the structure. They're kind of like a resilient package that protects the genetic material during periods when the environmental conditions are so harsh that the growing form of the microbe would be killed. It's like an aerosol sperm. Yeah! Wait, explain that to me. I don't think I know what that it's means. It's like it's like they're they're well, I guess they're fertilized eggs. But yeah, it's well, like, I was gonna it's say like it with a hard casing. Right, okay. Right. Like a bunch of little particles that are yeah, yeah each individual spore has its own casing, but the flower releases them into the air. Gotcha. Like it's a, so instead of goo, it's just a bunch <laughs> yeah. of little hard packages that are flying around exactly. sperminating the world. Mm-hmm. I, I don't that's not a word. Yes, it is. Sperminata. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the sperminata. Well, but so and especially I was saying the environmental conditions limit the growth of just the actual bacteria itself like temperatures of 80 to 90 degrees celsius which is between 176 and 194 degrees fahrenheit they typically kill bacteria within minutes there's like a group of bacteria that's known as thermophilic bacteria and they can survive at higher temperatures but even they be killed at like 248 degrees fahrenheit well spores can survive exposure to that temperature for like several hours Hmm. so basically it's just a way to protect those like if for some reason you're like i'm going through a heat wave (laughs) you know that's the spores coming in they've got these little spacesuits that let them handle the environment for serious sunblock happening here yeah Yeah. yeah. so even and i found a couple of fun facts about spores so bacterial Mm. spores that could be revived into the growing form have been recovered from materials that are over a century old so it kind of tells you how resilient bacteria is we're always talking about like you know life always finds a way bacteria Mm -hmm. is life whether or not you like it some might say we are in fact just bacteria whatever we've talked about that before you know especially in the context of like security threats but anthrax is being just like spores but that's that's what that is. It's just like the bacteria. Oh. Yeah. Bacillus anthracis is the bacterium that causes anthrax. That's a spore former. And, you know, you remember when anthrax was just like all the rage. Oh, everybody <laughs> was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> everybody was scared of it. And like yeah, SARS, no. I think, is well, similar. It was what happened, if I remember correctly, was soon after 9-11, there were some congressmen and some senators who got letters in the mail that had this white powder in them that turned out to be anthrax. Right. You know, these anthrax spores are super tiny, but if you you breathe them in, that's called inhalation anthrax, and it's almost always fatal without prompt medical treatment. So when you have that kind of threat just in the air, you can see why people would get, like, the mass hysteria of it all. So ophiocordyceps... Ophiocordyceps. 
cordyceps, yeah. Unilateralis. Unilateralis is a fungus that infects a specific type of ant that lives in tropical rainforests. And you've seen this on planet Earth. Once infected, the spore-possessed ant will climb down from its normal habitat and bite down with what the authors of this study call a death grip on a leaf and then die. I want to mention that the video game The Last of Us, which is one of my favorite video games of all time, is entirely based on this fungus. It's a zombie infection story, but it's really based on, like, what if a fungus like the one that affects the ants here could become the same kind of thing for human beings. Right. Well, well, one thing I would like to add is the fact that it's not just that the ant anchors down and is just like, hey, I'm ready to die. Like, the fungus fucks with its like its brain, its mm-hmm. behavior, to the point where, like, other ants notice if, if it's infected. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. To the point where they, like, because colonies can be completely destroyed by this fungus. If they notice that an ant is acting crazy, they will take the ant as far away from the colony as possible and basically do the equivalent of being like, you're on your own. Like just dropping them in the woods. Yeah, and just being like, you're not going to fuck. It's like quarantining, but to the extreme. Well, that like gave me goosebumps. I don't know know. why. But like the, so the ants actually do ostracize the one. Mm -hmm. Like they, they like carry him. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Apparently the death grip that these ants do on the leaf happens in like a very precise location. 98% of the ants studied had landed on a vein of the leaf. Mm -hmm. Most had found their way to the north side of the plant, chomped on the leaf about 25 centimeters above the ground, selected a leaf in an environment with 94 to 95% humidity, and ended up in a location with temperatures between 20 and 30 degrees Celsius. And they were just, like, amazed at the specificity of where the fungus drew the ants. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, And that's part of the behavioral pattern that I was talking about. Because mm-hmm. these ants will go away from their, you know, their canopy nests. And they'll go to those areas near the, the, the rainforest floor, which is more conducive for bacterial growth. Mm-hmm. So it's like this fungus, like, leads them astray. So everybody's like, what's uh?" <laughs> What's Josh up to? You know, like, Josh the ant. Dude, he's been going into the, like, where's he going? Similar to Elizabeth's <laughs> yeah. paranoia in the movie where she's like, where's my husband going? This yeah. isn't like him. He's acting crazy. He's, he's not acting like himself. And that's like basically the equivalent of the fungus taking control of your brain before it starts growing a goddamn spore through your I, skull. I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. They did research on whether or not the fungus is as effective if they kill the ants in other locations. Mm-hmm. And almost none of those sprouted spores. Whereas they, if they were in the right location, then the fungus spread. So after the ant dies, the fungus begins growing inside the ant body. And in a few days, it reinforces the exoskeleton mm-hmm. to have it be like a, a cocoon for mm-hmm. it, kind of. And then it only at the right time does it burst out of the right. specific spot in the back of the ant's skull. Okay, here's some interesting shit, though, too. Because that spore, that fungal spore, is susceptible to the fungal infection itself. What? Yep. So it has its own way of stopping the fungal spread so that it doesn't get infected by the spread. What? Yeah. How, well, wait, what okay. would the infection be like for the fungus? Okay, unilateralis, let's just call it. And related species are known to engage in an active secondary metabolism. Among other reasons, it's for the production of substances active as antibacterial agents that protect the fungus host ecosystem against further pathogenesis during <laughs> fungal reproduction. Because of the secondary metabolism, an interest in the species has been taken by natural products chemists for potential interest for use in human immunomodulatory, anti-infective, and anti-cancer agents. So it's like, wow. because this this the fungal spore thing can 
could get so out of control then it's like but i don't want i don't want myself to get infected uh-huh. so let me i have the secondary metabolism that's going to keep that at bay so huh. it's this weird thing where it's like it fucks with the ants but like it has to protect the ant enough so that there's not further spread of the fungus even like because we know that this fungus is able to do that then you harness the antibacterial element in yeah. order to help humans it's just like whoa well wait if you take that to humanity as a virus mm-hmm. And you take the idea that, like, we just want to spread and consume and consume and consume. I think that we do know that if we just do that, we can destroy ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we want to have, like, the intelligence to stop our spread or do it in a way that's, like, healthy for the outer environment, too. That's just like this. Are you kind of saying that the secondary metabolism is a la birth control? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, is that what you mean? No, I I meant it's, like, our ability to choose how much we want to spread at right. a given moment right which in some degrees in order to control what you spread you sort of need yeah to i suppose birth control Th- is another form of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah the one other thing though i wanted to say about this fucking fungus is so it when it actually releases the spores it creates an infectious killing field Ugh. about one square meter below the ant's body that could f- infect other ants or similar species that are unlucky enough to walk there uh-huh i mean i guess i'm still trapped on this idea of the ants being able to to know if somebody in their colony is infected and That's sort of having to to, to take that because we've talked about that a bunch on the show of just like would you sacrifice some like one mm-hmm. person for the benefit of an entire colony? And really, it's like that's what they're doing. You could be like families are ripped apart, but it'll be like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I don't have any choice. Like 28 days later, any zombie movie yeah. that you choose, you have to make that choice, right? Yeah. Related to this, I was looking into other parasitic situations that are kind of similar where like something can control another animal. Uh-huh. And there's a wasp called the emerald cockroach wasp. It attacks cockroaches with a venom that blocks a neurotransmitter that allows the insect to control its own movements. Uh. And then it's free to lead the walking zombie roach into the wasp's nest and have it serve food. Basically goes out into the wild, tames a wild horse of a cockroach, rides it into town and eats it. We clearly know that, you know, humans aren't the only animal that like bamboozles you yeah (laughs) Yeah. like fucks with you and manipulates you it's a dog eat dog world out there (laughs) yeah or a spore eat ant world out there well that leads into this conversation i want to have about capgrass delusion Uh uh-huh which is this imposter syndrome yeah i've never heard of that so yeah this is a real thing it's diagnosable and it's the delusion that a friend a spouse parent or other close family member or pet Mm -hmm. has been replaced with an identical looking imposter right oh god and you got to think about how crazy everybody would think that you are if you're going around saying hey everybody's not themselves right now the delusion most commonly occurs in patients diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia so there are already people who are you we're not going to take seriously and then and the really scary thing is like what if you're right exactly you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> what if you, you know, it's like all the schizophrenics all... are right dude. yeah it's one of those things about like is it paranoia if you're actually being followed totally in one isolated case they actually were able to induce capgrass delusion in a healthy subject with the drug ketamine Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. It also occurs more frequently in females with the female to male ratio of three to two. Originally, they thought this was a female only delusion. Of course. So the patient is capable of feeling emotions and recognizing faces, but they can't feel emotions when recognizing familiar faces. Okay. So it's this divorce 
that happens in your brain between the emotion that you feel when you see your brother and the knowledge that you feel when you see your brother's face. Right, okay. So you can look at them and know that it's them, but your emotion is disconnected, and so you feel like they can't be them because you don't feel that inherent thing that you feel every time you see somebody that you love. That's crazy. You feel like there's something wrong with them. Right. They're well, an imposter. Thinking back to our fly episode of, you know, then when you incorporate all, not just the mental illness stuff, but then any drug addiction mm-hmm. elements too, because I mean, they're all chemical substance. They're all mind yep. mood altering substances. Like you just said, ketamine is, is a way to, mm-hmm. to get to that point. So it might not go so far as no, it's actually an imposter that's been reprogrammed to mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z and just be like, who, yeah, maybe it's not really that quote unquote that person that you're talking to. Maybe right. they are someone else, but it's not. It's just that your brain is really complicated. And when you fuck with it mm-hmm. and you add crazy substances that. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. We tend to represent the people we know with hybrid representations containing two parts. Mm-hmm. One part represents them externally, like how they look and sound and stuff. And then the other part represents them internally, like their personalities, their beliefs, right. characteristic emotions and stuff. And so our brains actually keep those in separate places, Uh like our understanding of a person. Oh, my God. And so there's the external understanding and the internal understanding. And they believe that this syndrome occurs when the internal portion of representation is damaged or inaccessible. Wow. Well, and that also reinforces what we've talked about before about memory and how memory is formed. It's not just like a filing cabinet. If you've got either mental illness or you've got some chemical reactions happening up there. Yeah. No wonder. That makes me just realize like how little we know about mental illness and how many people were like misdiagnosed or miss fucking lobotomized Uh or you know all that stuff when really it's like you just need to get the synapses firing yeah and oh gosh that is fascinating well you know that phrase like i don't know you anymore Uh like what does that mean i mean (laughs) okay so i'm thinking let's have some fun if i were to come over here one day Mm -hmm. i'm trying to think of the things that would have to happen or the things that would have to not happen in order for me to be like jeff isn't jeff up yeah (laughs) like to actually get to the point where you're like this isn't the person yeah because that's what i kept asking is like this woman is married to this motherfucker and he's an asshole on day one Uh so she lets it slide on day one she's like oh something must be going on right like let's let's it last way too long it also in my opinion had a little bit of like abusive relationship allegory because mm-hmm. also anytime she'd complain then she would talk to psychiatrist things aren't so great between the two of you right now so just give them a little space She's like fuck you <laughs> yeah. he, oh oh gosh i hate the term mansplaining but if ever there was a mansplainer leonard oh, nimoy wow, yeah. in this movie was that guy i was like you condescending motherfucker <laughs> shut up and he turned out to be like the head honcho pod person yeah so. i mean that's what it's you know <laughs> right. they were kind of telegraphing that that it's right. like was he a pod person was he not but at first when it, leading up to it i was like again i'm trying to think of like 70s what it was this is like a commentary against psychiatry or this kind of new agey oh, yeah. way of dealing you know, i'm always looking at like what are who are the people that are writing this movie what are they trying to tell me kind of yeah thing. but yeah i sometimes think about that like what it would take for me to like my dad passed away about six years ago and at his funeral the lights went out mm-hmm. oh. and a p- couple of people came up to me after the funeral and were like it was him you know, it was him. He was he made the power go out. Oh gosh! And my brother and I were talking about it, and, and we were like, "How much do you think he would have to do as a ghost for us to believe that it was him?" Totally. Like turning the lights out. He knows that's not going to work. Yeah. He knows he needs to do something like really serious. Right 
for us to ever believe like, no, that's actually him, his ghost. And yet, I mean, you have that, and yet people were so quick to be like, it was obviously him. That electrical malfunction was him. I know, I know. And I was just like, fuck you. I don't want to hear about your stupid beliefs. Yeah. I'm dealing with something right now. Yeah, is that your way of making me feel better? Yeah, it was like, and I I was just like, come come the fuck on. But, you know, on a less supernatural note, I think of Alzheimer's patients, for example. Mm. You know, I you know, knock on wood, have not had any experience with anybody in my life close to me go mm-hmm. through that. But even my father, my father's an 85-year-old man, you know, and every time I talk to him, I'm like, is today the day? Like, mm-hmm. really, you don't you don't know when you get mm-hmm. to that point. But I always, when I hang up, I'm like, he's still got his wits about him. That's the thing, <laughs> yeah. you know? And people will say, like, oh, how's your dad doing? I'm like, he's still got his whips, wits about him. Yeah. He's still, still telling dumb dad jokes, you know what I mean? That would be the line that I would cross. I'd be like, something is wrong if my dad doesn't make embarrassing, quasi-racist and sexist jokes anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that like, would, would you think that he wasn't him anymore? I wouldn't think that he wasn't him, but I, I'm not talking about it in the, in in the, the context, context of, of the, pod people at right, all. I'm right. talking about it in terms of, like, what is personality? Mm-hmm. What makes us attached to people? Right. You know, you have people who are dealing with their parents, people they've known their entire lives better than anybody knows them. Yeah. And they're like, they look at me like I'm a stranger. You know what I mean? So it's like, you don't have to be a pod person to experience what it feels like mm-hmm. to just lose yourself. And well, lose. we're always changing and growing. Yeah. And, and as we get older, sometimes regressing. Mm-hmm. And at what point is it like, I don't even know you anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you? Yeah. I mean, and I feel like I said that very flippantly, but I feel like a lot of people throw that into relate. It's always relationships because we're like, guess what, guys? Surprise, surprise. People change. Most times, people grow apart. You know what I mean? Or hopefully, you can grow together, but people do change. It's not you not knowing each other anymore. It's that you're just different people. That's fine. But you know, if some if somebody that was dear to you that had this very particular like character trait was suddenly not like if I came here tomorrow and was just like, hi, Jeff. Right, and, you I would, know, like never made jokes. I'd be, anymore. I would be like, I'd be like, what, what is, what's right. the matter? You know, I, I would was, ask you like, what's going on, and you yeah. were like, nothing. Everything is as normal as it ever was. Yeah, that's I'd be true. like, wait a minute. I know because I was, I was, I started by saying like, what would Jeff have to do to make? And then I asked myself, I'm like, I wonder what, what kind of person would I be? I, okay, so it would take me a long time before I thought that you weren't doing a bit. Right, <laughs> that's true. That's like, a good point. I, be like, I, yo, I would, she's taking I'd this. Be like, this Body Snatchers movie yeah. really got her. <laughs> I know April Fools was a while ago, but. But like what? <laughs> Joy of the pod person, just like chipper, but without any cynicism. Then you yeah, would know yeah. like something's wrong. Right. It's like when when she's cool with CG effects and uh, yeah. and remakes and corporations. Oh no! I'll yeah. tell you no, when I yeah. really love you Galaxy want... Quest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Galaxy Quest is my favorite. I love Galaxy Quest, and I think that Monsanto should take over the world. Yeah. And Donald Trump is the best. Yeah. He's gonna make America great again. Yeah. Then you'd be like, no. I'd be like what? Nine one one. Pod person. <laughs> <laughs> That's that sound. Yeah, I was pointing at it too. <laughs> okay. Well, that actually is a great lead in to my main thing, yes. which is what makes scary sounds scary? What does make scary sounds scary? I'm going to tell you. So you think about the Jaws music, right? Iconic mm. Jaws music. Da-dum, da-dum. Oh, you want me to play it? Oh, no. Here it goes. <laughs> Psycho. <laughs> and then, of course, as we've talked about throughout Invasion of the Body Snatchers, there's not only music, but then there's the sounds that come out of the pod people, which is like a kind of a screech. It's very inhuman. I think of 
a pterodactyl, but I don't really know what a fucking pterodactyl <laughs> yeah, sounds yeah. like. But this kind of screech, There's it sounds animalistic in its own right. So there's something about that coming out of a human that's already unsettling. Like I it almost sounds like a breathing in noise, like that. <gasps> right. But also out like at the same out time. Like in at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, I think of like the T-1000 when he gets, when he's in the lava and it's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like so mouth weird. is turning into faces and <laughs> right. then the mouth is turning exactly. into faces. Exactly. Well, because it's also like the physicality of like the distortion. It's the, the Donald Sutherland opening his mouth. So there's like mm. definitely visual in tandem with the audio stuff. Researchers believe that there are biologically ingrained reasons why sudden dissonant sounds and minor chords make us apprehensive. So Daniel Bloomstein, he's the leading scientist on this study. Uh, he's also an expert in animal distress calls. He studied yellow-bellied marmots in Colorado. And he noticed that baby marmots often screamed when researchers caught them. So in, in scientific jargon, those screams are classified as, quote, nonlinear chaotic noise. Hmm. Bloomstein first explored the link between such nonlinear noise and scary music in a 20, uh, 2010 study of movie soundtracks. He discovered that horror scores made heavy use of such sounds, and in films like The Shining, mm. for example, they used recordings of animal screams. Mm -hmm. I've definitely read before that like sometimes when there's a suspenseful reveal, mm -hmm. even if it has nothing to do with an animal, they'll throw in the sound of a predator, like yeah. a like a roar of a lion or mm -hmm. something. And the fact that we have it ingrained in us that we fear predators mm -hmm. it inherently gets that even though we don't consciously think oh that's a lion right and you don't even hear it as a lion roar exactly you just know that that moment scared you. i think another example i remember seeing that movie the grudge oh yeah I don't know if you saw that but there's this scene where the, the you know the tiny little ghost asian boy like uh. meows and opens his mouth really Whoa. wide there's this meow and i remember even just seeing the the, the preview and being like that creeped me out in a way mm -hmm. that I couldn't describe until we saw Invasion of the Body Snatchers in mm. that final shot of Donald Sutherland. So this kind of makes sense. It's unexpected. You don't right. expect an animal sound to come out of a human being, so it's almost more, it's kind of its own uncanny valley. Ow! <laughs> I talk, I mean, my boyfriend is going to appreciate this because I very often speak in animal noises. <laughs> very much just like, I don't really want to ask you to hand me the remote. I'm just going to be like, meh. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, actually. Researchers also found that musical clips where the melodies suddenly became higher provoked greater emotional stimulation than, than moments when the notes suddenly went lower. Hmm. And this may be linked to the study of animal calls. For example, a marmot's scream goes higher when the marmot's vocal cords go tenser, and this tensing would likely occur when the animal is scared. Well, like, I'm just reminded of, at one point, I didn't know that that my friend was coming over and he just showed up on the, my patio once and I turned and I looked and I just saw him like standing outside the window <laughs> yeah. and I screamed so much like a girl, right. like a little, right. it, like a three-year-old. Like right. It was like, ah! <laughs> like I was so like, and I looked at him like, oh, I, I don't even know where that came yeah. from. I Dude, didn't, yeah. the sounds that come out of people's mouths when you really scare them, it's unlike anything, either, you know, something as laughable as sounding like a little girl, but then also just this kind of the guttural, just like, oh, yeah. like that sound well, has come out You of sometimes make fun of me for the noises I make when we're playing like Resident Evil or oh, something. Yeah. Where we're like, we play some horror video games right. sometimes and it comes out and I'm like, ah, right. fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Like this, the diaphragm support coming out of this man, he's like a goddamn opera singer. It, <laughs> 
Yeah, it's really amazing. This, you don't even realize, like, oh, my, I didn't realize I had so much breath control but yeah. until I got spooked. But, okay, so let me take this even further. So there's the, the sounds, like, ah, screechy, animal-y sounds. Mm -hmm. But then music. Music theorists long ago identified the exact combinations of notes that are the most disturbing to our ears, although they never really figured out why they sound so dissonant. Hmm. So the tritone, which are two notes that are three whole steps apart, like F and B, they're known as diabolus in musica, which is devil in music. So in the Middle Ages, mm. they those certain notes were like banned. <laughs> they were just like, they've been carefully avoided so as wow. not to be associated with any type of negative emotion. Let's take a listen to what a tritone sounds like. that sound right that's kind of like creepy music i don't know if it's still that because it goes up or or what it is that huh. makes you just feel like unsettled yeah it's it's i feel like i've heard it before in movies yeah. and i wonder yeah why did it get labeled the devil just because people were like freaked out by i think it? because it, it sounded evil like mm -hmm. it sounds mm -hmm. The devil's tone. Yeah. So the devil's in the details. So it may, you know, it, to me, it, it's all kind of wrapped up in that, like, you know, whatever's ingrained into making you avoid danger, I suppose. Another instrument that, that music folks would use for movies is the theremin. Oh, the, yeah, we've talked about the theremin before. Yeah. It's a musical instrument from the 20s with two antennas where you wave your hands over it and yeah. it makes music in different pitches and stuff. But it's that quintessential, like very unsettling. I think because it's that it's such an odd. It's like a very mm -hmm. sharp sound. Yeah. But then that like kind of movement. The well, I guess these are all noises. -like. Yeah, these are noises that like you've never really heard in nature. Yeah. And or if you have, they're danger right. noises. So I guess it makes like. <laughs> I would love if there was a bird call that was like. Ooh. <laughs> oh, it's the ghost bird. I'm about to say hello. <laughs> Richard well, even, Attenborough, like, like the ghost bird, yeah, <laughs> lives in. I the would say the only ghost bird I can think of is an owl. Those are like, ooh, 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 ooh. yeah, and it is like associated with night, right? And in, scary in times. Of midnight, yeah. yeah. Alfred Hitchcock, he, Alfred Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> He was saying that, like, in Psycho, the majority of the, the fear came from the music. Yeah. And I would completely agree because, I mean, of course, when someone goes ooga booga in the shower and mm -hmm. starts stabbing you, there's that. But, I mean, that iconic, <laughs> like, anybody knows what that is. I guess that's what I think is interesting, too, is, like, we have very iconic, spooky sounds. Yeah, yeah. Da -dum. Da -dum. Da -dum. Da -dum. That's another one that goes yeah. up. Ring, ring, ring. Right. Da -dum. Like they all go yeah. up at the end. That's, yeah. that's I never noticed that before. Right. But then, and then especially the kind of movements where it's like you don't necessarily feel the step happening, where it's just kind of like, ooh. <laughs> it gets like very dissonant. You're like, I can't tell if this is beautiful or terrifying. I know. You're creeping me out right yeah. now. <laughs> well, on the subject of sounds and music and such, you know this idea that people who, like botanists, like talking to plants and say that it helped plants grow? I assume that was a bunch of baloney, but tell me about it. Well, it's only partially baloney, believe <laughs> okay. it or not. So the Mythbusters actually did a great episode on this. Uh -huh. They used 60 pea plants. In 2004, they set up seven greenhouses with a variety of different recordings playing around the clock. Two greenhouses played negative speech, like they were like, you stupid plants. 
<laughs> two greenhouses <gasps> played positive speech, like, you're a beautiful you're plant. You're such a great plant. You're such a wonderful plant. <laughs> one greenhouse played classical music. Okay. One greenhouse played heavy metal music. Mm-hmm. And the last greenhouse was silent. And after 60 days, they determined the winning greenhouse by comparing plant masses within the different groups. Oh, my God. Of all the greenhouses, the silent greenhouse showed the least amount of plant growth. Wow. The plants in the greenhouses with speech, either positive or negative, grew faster than those in the silent greenhouse. Surprisingly, the greenhouses with music grew the most of all. In fact, the greenhouse that played heavy metal music grew absolutely the most. Wow. That's incredible. There is something to this. There is absolutely something to it. Now, people have been doing scientific research on this a long time, and a lot of the studies are either questionable or at least or discredited. And one of the things that I noticed, because a lot of the studies that were done over time were like, the plants like this type of music, but they hate rock music. Right. There was like a whole study that was done where it was like, all oh, the plants started leading away from the speakers super of the rock conservative music. conservative plants. And yeah, and they were like, <laughs> they didn't like it and they didn't grow as much. Kisses the devil's then, music. I know. And then I saw this great quote about that, which was strangely... The plant's musical tastes showed a remarkable congruence with those of the humans reporting them. Oh my god. So it's like they could sense your love or your disdain for music. <laughs> yeah. Or it was like God. I was thinking that it was just that people were like, Oh no, my plants, my plants like Enya. And oh, right. I like Enya. They're like, and like they don't my plants don't like heavy metal music just because I'm not living vicariously them. through their fucking plants. That's what that I that was how I read it. Well, okay, but let maybe me, it is that like they're sensing some kind of Yours is probably more correct because it's just what they're listening to more often and they're right. associating with, you know, whatever treatment they're getting, you know, mm-hmm, if they're mm-hmm. being taken care of. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, if you were to play the same song for a dog every time you fed it, it would probably be really excited. Right. You know, every time you played Who Let the Dogs Out, they were gonna get super stoked (laughs) well i'm trying to unpack all of this because i'm thinking about it it's like well dude we're all living organisms and i've seen Mm -hmm. so many of these you know i'm a sucker for a cute animal video but i've seen plenty of these where people drive by a farm and they're playing their fiddle for a fucking group of cows like her cows (laughs) starts from out there i saw oh my god this was the best it was like a three-piece band that was just like we're gonna set up shopping it was like and the cows start from like way the fuck out in the field and they end up moving up toward and they're the like cows came home yeah the cows came home and they're like moving their heads and like shaking their little tails oh, and like so cute. i saw this other one where it was like elephants were dancing they were like swaying to the fiddle and so to me i was like we need to get it out of our brains like we're the most sophisticated <laughs> yeah, yeah. goddamn organisms on this planet well some scientists believe that like the reason for this is that it's possible that vibrations help plants survive in like really windy environments. That's what I was going to say. It's the vibration probably. So it's like they think it's probably the vibration. Another theory that doesn't totally stand up if it's being used by a speaker is that speaking to it expels <clears throat> carbon dioxide, which you're like talking to your plant. Breath, you're and, like, yeah, yeah. And you're, hello, plant. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and, and it's like... Mm, carbon dioxide. I love Speak it. Speak again, bright angel. <laughs> so there was an album that a friend of mine happened to show me a couple of weeks ago that I, I really want to play a little bit of, okay. just like a 30-second clip. Because in 1976, there was this guy named Mort Garson, and he created an album called Plantasia, oh, Music boy. for Plants.
can't with that. So it's Plantasia, warm earth music for plants and the people who love them. Oh boy. And I gotta say, I find it delightful. Like I love the I I listened to the whole thing and I was like, this is very pleasant. Right. But we certainly know then like on a social level, if anybody was like, Yo, so I've been listening to Plantasia, that's my favorite album, I would be a little bit like, I don't that's what happened to me two weeks ago with one of my best friends where he was like he was like dude i found this because he's into like some weirder music and he was like what Uh is this and and he was like okay so let me tell you about the craziest thing oh my god plantasia it's Hmm. music for plants I was well, like, what the fuck? But I mean, because, you know, I to me, it's it's a no-brainer again, like the power of music for people. Mm-hmm. Just sounds and certain triggers. Have you ever heard of ASMR? Yes. Okay. So ASMR, for anybody who doesn't know, stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And it's basically like runs the gamut of anywhere from, you know, if someone's tapping on a table or tapping on a book to whispering in your ear or certain sounds. Like there's a lot of these videos on YouTube where people are, are making certain sounds. Like here's an example. Like the sounds that certain things like sit, like Prometheus, you know, like these kinds (laughs) of weird words where at first like a buddy of mine showed me one of these videos because they they also have, you know, 3D facials that they'll do. But because it's it's basically like a haircut thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's tingle porn. It's like you you visualize what someone's experiencing when they go to a salon. You're like, oh, I'm imagining somebody doing my hair that Mm -hmm. gives me tingles. So it's all of that. But then I think what blew my mind away is. The idea that, like, yeah, certain things of, of soft talking that, you know, would give me tingles years and years ago. I'm thinking mm. about, like, even when my librarian would read us books in class mm. and I would get these weird tingles in class. And I'm like, you know, I'm a fucking seven-year-old, so I'm like, I just don't know what I feel. <laughs> but to think that this is, like, a thing. Yeah. That sound, vibration, whatever, and how it affects us, I think, is fascinating. And they know very little about why this happens. Well, it's funny to think of sound as it, it, you kind of get to see through walls. Yeah. Or, like, around trees. Yeah. Using your ears. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, it's almost like a radar. Yeah. In <laughs> like its own where way. you get to see through things and yeah. and, yeah. You can hear your dumbass neighbor at the motel being super loud and you have to be like, keep it down over there. <laughs> All of that stuff. You know what's going on. Too much information. I was looking into carnivorous plants. Okay. Like the most famous is the Venus flytrap. But there's a lot more mechanisms that are found in carnivorous plants to basically entrap bugs and all sorts of other stuff. And they're plants that eat things. Mm -hmm. And I just think about the early evolution of the Earth and when the first single-celled organisms began. All the energy that they were able to get came from the sun. And then there were enough organisms at a certain point where one of them, I don't know, absorbed another or somehow took it in and realized I can get energy from the sun through this other organism. Right. And I imagine that's how like we got this dichotomy between plant and animal. Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense that, and I just think it's really cool that all the energy that any of us get on the planet earth originally comes from the sun, mm-hmm. including when we eat plants and other animals. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about how that whole thing developed was so interesting to me and the fact that there are plants that became carnivorous over time but stayed as plant right well it it makes you wonder like what kind of uh, extreme circumstances those plants were put under like Mm -hmm. what what they used to feed if they just went through normal kind of photosynthesis stuff for a long time until maybe there were periods of no sunlight or you know problem is there's like no fossils of them because Mm -hmm. they never created like bark on the outside so like prehistoric carnivorous plants we know almost nothing about them right 
but current ones they usually appear in areas where sunlight or resources is really limited and mm -hmm. it had to resort to eating other animals right. that were in the area to survive gosh it makes me wonder at least like what the generational story was there you know what the mm -hmm. survival of the fittest element how many generations just had to die off before that adaptation yeah of like eating another thing it's fascinating to me that we evolved beyond just taking in energy from the sun yeah. directly considering Ultimately, I guess it's a more efficient way to take in energy right. because you can take in all the energy that they were able to absorb from the sun yeah, and then do it again to another plant and you're absorbing energy from the sun too. Yeah. So it makes sense that it would evolve that way, but it's also crazy to me. Yeah. In the movie, they were talking about cross-pollination creating a new species of plant. And I was thinking about interspecies breeding and creating new organisms mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I wound up coming across this whole thing about the African killer bees. Oh, wow. And where they came from. So they're actually an interspecies hybrid, the product of the African bee with the honeybee. And they, it's called the Africanized honeybee, technically, but it's known more colloquially as the killer bee. And they were first introduced to Brazil in the 50s in an effort to increase honey production. But in 1957, 26 swarms accidentally escaped quarantine. Oh, boy. And since then, the species has spread throughout South America and arrived in North America in 1985. And hives were found in Texas and the United States in 1990. And this was like, everybody was freaking out about this. Because I remember about all oh, these yeah. articles about like, the bees are coming. The killer bees. Right. And that was one of those that, to me, in my in my <clears throat> memory, is now lumped in with, like, right. bird flu and right. swine and flu and all of those. But, yeah. I, but, I mean, it's it's also interesting to know that, you know, it's like human involvement is the mistake here. Right, right. <laughs> Introducing them for honey production, then they, uh, then oh, they surprise, they lost control of the bees. Yep. But what makes them killer is not that they're more venomous. It's actually that... They're typically much more defensive than other races of bees, okay. and they react to disturbances faster, and then they chase a person a quarter of a mile. And they're not like regular bees that if they sting you once, they're dead? They are like that, but the difference is they will really come after you in larger numbers oh, for man. a longer distance. And they have no fear of death because they visited recall! <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I, uh... that was a mention of a previous episode where we talk about like removing the... The idea of fear, the threat of fear from yeah, your memory. Your fight and flight response, yeah. yeah. So they've killed some thousand humans. Yeah. Victims receiving 10 times more stings than from European honeybees. And they've also killed horses and other animals before. Now, oh God, I'm getting all goosebumpy because for me, the one thing that like I really have a phobia about is bees. Oh, interesting. Like okay. I, I'm cool with spiders, I'm yeah. cool with snakes. You, you get a bee around me, I'm freaked well, out. Well, you know, I used to feel the same way, and it's. But I think I had a terrible experience with a fucking hornet or yellow jacket uh -huh. or something. One of these clowns that like doesn't die if it stings you. Uh -huh. And oh, my dad made no. a swing set out of our, you know, laundry hangy. What is that called? Clothes, clothes line. Yeah. Ah, sign of the times. So I'm like, we used to hang our stuff on the old uh, what? The dryer. The drying line. The dryer line. Anyway, so I remember I was like a little kid swinging on my thing. This thing comes out, stings me on my knee, and ever oh, since I've been. And, like horrified well but that then, goes back to what you were talking about about reinforcing fear memories right? and that oh, must be why i'm afraid and, of bees. and i totally am still like if i see a bee i'm like okay i'm like try to reason with the bee i'm like yeah. i'm just gonna go i just here, i'm not gonna bother you and you're not gonna bother me and but i'm gonna leave i also i think once i realized like 
bees really don't want to, unless they're killer bees, I guess, they really don't want to fuck with you because they will die if they sting you. They also are extremely important. So, so, so important. And we're also killing them. So it's like we're kind of, I feel like we've, we're like one for one with the killer bees. We're sort of like, okay, you had your thing. We've killed you with the pesticides. Mm-hmm. Now let's just. Well, what was funny to me about like how freaked out I was just reading this. I then last night, I had a nightmare. Oh no. Where. Trigger. I stepped on something and I looked down and it's like African oh, killer God. bees. The immediate thought that goes through my dream mind is these things will chase me at least a quarter of a mile. I just <laughs> read about this. I fucking hate this. And I got to run. And I just run. And then at a certain point, like, they all caught up to me. And I was, like, looking at them as they were, like, on me, considering right. stinging me. And then, oh, God. It was, oh, God, I, I think, hate it. Right. I think basically what uh, Jeff is saying is, like, don't learn stuff. Because don't it's just going to scare it's you. It's just going to give you bad <laughs> dreams. Science. Let's do favorite lines. All right. Quote, we eat junk, we breathe junk. So basically, like, this is this woman justifying why people wouldn't know if pod people took over. Right. Right. Because this idea, like, we already let, we already eat poison, we already don't pay attention to anything, and so therefore, how would we know? if? Do you mean, like, supermarket kind of, like, we don't know where this meat came from? Or yeah, do you mean- almost this justification for why we would basically let an alien race take over us, mm-hmm. all of us, before anybody was like, hey, something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. Like, we already let the system kind of manipulate us in so many ways. I don't know. To me, I feel like one day my rationality is going to completely backfire mm-hmm. on me, and I'm going to be like, there's no way that they would do this, or right. like that this would be, like, what, everybody's been replaced? Yeah. That doesn't make any fucking sense, and I would immediately be replaced. Then you can also just get the shit scared out of you by watching the last scene of <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> yeah. Like, remember when that happened? We just, like, looked at each other open-mouthed, and I was like, I I, like, couldn't even now. look at you. I had I to, like, I was genuinely, if I had, like, moved, tears were going to burst yeah. out of my eyes. Like, like, I don't know what it was that built to that emotional yeah. moment that I had, but, like, I really almost cried, and I actually had to, like, fight back. It was, like, primitive fear. Oh, man. For sure. I, loved it. Fucking loved this movie. Really, movie. really happy we watched it. Way to go, Donald <laughs> Sutherland. You're good. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying which Donald. Yeah, it's just we're not in that place anymore. <laughs> I know I had an Uncle Donald that I loved too. It's just like Donald has been destroyed. Mr. It, Duck. It really you can't even. <laughs> Mr. Duck. <laughs> I can't talk. Of, I can't call him by Don anymore. Yeah. His first name. Oh, man. So if you guys have anything that you would like to add or if anything that has ever made you think, no, but that's a thing, please reach out to us at no, but that's a thing on Twitter. We are at no, but that's a thing, the Facebook page. And you can please rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, we're that. trying to get some ideas of what y'all think. Yeah, we want to know what you think if you're enjoying this show. And you can email us at no, but that's a thing at gmail.com. I'm at it's a joy Mia on Twitter. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman on Twitter. Cool. And we will see you all next week. Love y'all. Bye. Bye.